So I'd like to wish everybody a Happy New Year. <laughs> it's a wonderful time of the year. And, uh, I was uh, very struck by um, Caroline's reflections the other night. Um, and they were stemming from questions that uh, she invited the uh, meditators here to uh, offer questions, put them in her little tissue box, and it seemed like the, the main thing that is on people's minds is a, a lot of the difficulty that's going on on the planet now. And, uh, you know, how does one go about a- addressing that? Uh, and so uh, I thought I'd pick up on that theme. Uh, you know, it just, it's just there's so much in the Buddhist teachings. We could all talk about it um, many, many times and, and still uh, find rich offerings to help us to, to get through difficult periods like this. So uh, just to, to offer some thoughts, you know, for, um, sometimes I look at this time of year and, and uh, I get a little giddy around it. It's often kind of a very happy time. I think back to the party hats and noisemakers of bygone years, you know, and maybe we don't do that at retreat centers, but, you know, we have our quiet little way uh, of doing those same kinds of things. But uh, this year feels a little bit different. Um, people aren't jumping up and down excited in the same way. And uh, and most of it is just really proceeding from the the, the, the difficulties that are going on on the planet. Um, you know, whether it's uh, the wars or... Uh, various conflicts around, uh, uh, various forms of oppression, uh, divisiveness, you know, the results of recent elections, uh, or even just out-and-out hatred. You know, I I don't know about you, but this is, uh, I'm 67, and it just seems to be an unparalleled time in terms of people having sort of license to express these very unskillful states and and, uh, to uh, do that openly and without... um, uh, you know, being uh, talked down for it. So things are a bit of a mess, <laughs> aren't they? You know, we can say that in a, in a very serious way. So then you often ask, well, what, what do we do about it? How do we deal with it, as, uh, particularly as Buddhist practitioners? And, and, and perhaps the first thing is to realize that uh, we can't escape the fact of these painful, this kind of painful stuff. You can't escape it. It's always there. Sometimes it's worse than others. But, um, you know, the first noble truth, this wonderful teaching that the Buddha uh, offered um, soon after his enlightenment, that's the first thing he says, you know, there, there is this. Uh, this is the way it is. And uh, one of the most marvelous and maybe difficult things to uh, grasp about what he said is that it needs to be understood It needs to be understood. And this is a a kind of understanding that is not an intellectual understanding. I mean, we all get it that there's difficulty on the planet uh, and difficulty in our hearts, difficulty in our lives. But um, this is, he's pointing to an understanding that is born out of direct knowledge, direct experience. So, I mean, the good news is that it can be understood. Perhaps the bad news is that you have to go into it. <laughs> you know, you have to be willing to turn to it instead of um, turning away, which is so much our shoot-from-the-hip response, isn't it? 
you know, even just to talk about dukkha sometimes. I, I remember one time I was getting ready to give a talk at the study center and I was, uh, you know, just decided to make this my topic for the evening. And I could feel my heart as I was preparing for it. I said, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to know it. I don't, I, I don't want it to be the way that it is. You know, and over and over again in our lives and in our practice, you can feel the heart and mind real just real, it's like contract and close. We so don't want dukkha to be one of the facts of our uh, existence in this human birth. But there it is. And, and so the invitation here, and it's, it's a part of our practice, it's not all of it for sure, but the, the uh, invit- invitation here and the encouragement is really to, to find a way to uh, certainly take these teachings to heart and, um, and dare. <laughs> you know, believe it or not, we've been bearing dukkha from the beginning of our lives. Uh, but this is sort of a, a more open-hearted, uh, conscious turning towards it and allowing it to uh, enter uh, our, our hearts and, and our being. And, and as I said, you can feel the heart. <sighs> I don't want it. I don't want it. You know, so much of our activity, so much of the chatter you see in your minds, not just on retreat, but is the, is the resistance. The, the, either the out-and-out fighting that reality or just uh, creating a world wherein it doesn't exist. You know, I don't know about you, but I have a very rich fantasy life, you know. <laughs> it's like I can, I can fantasize with the best of them and there's no dukkha in any of my fantasies, you know. Uh, so it, it's useful just to re- reflect. Uh, I find, if it feels heavy, just to reflect on your own practice through the years. Uh, don't you find that gradually you're beginning to, to get what the Buddha is pointing to. That, that a, a life that is open to this reality, um, to the truth of dukkha, is actually much better. <laughs> it's weird. It's one of those weird paradoxes in, in the Dhamma, you know, in the Buddhist teachings, um, where we can, uh, we can embrace this reality, this reality of dukkha, and uh, not protect ourselves against it, not resist it, and not imagine things to be some other way, and that that, that is better, that that's helpful. You know, but it's true, isn't it? You know, and, and if you look closely, you begin to realize that the reason why it's true is because we're laying down this burden of, of, of uh, fighting, <laughs> of resisting. Uh, quarreling with this uh, this truth of our existence. So, uh, admittedly, sometimes it's worse than others. Uh, let's be honest, uh, and this may, in fact, be be one of those times. I don't know, but um, still, our, our, our objective is really to throw back our shoulders and open up our chest and open up our heart to, you know, as we as we did when human beings stood upright, you know, and, and, and bore sort of expose this most vulnerable part of our being to the world. You know, we're 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 turning towards it and, and uh, opening ourselves up uh, to this reality. And one of my old monk friends well, actually, I should say my long time of monk friends. He's old too, but you know, <laughs> we're all getting old. But he, he used to say that um, over the years, he began to uh, realize that uh, through the years of practice, he was slowly becoming a dish antenna. 
you know, and, and, and that image was so apt because it's, it's, it, it can't close, you know. It, it's, it's just open, 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 constantly uh, receiving uh, the impressions uh, from the external world. Um, and, and also, he, said, he qualified that and said it wasn't just the impressions from the external world. It was that learning to receive the impressions coming up in his own heart, you know. It's learning to bear his own karmic patterns and habits. You know, so it's a very subtle uh, internal um, activity of dukkha as well. And, and at first that can be quite painful, you know. We, we realize, um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but for, for many years, certainly BB, as I say, before Buddhism, you know, I walked around quite buffered, you know, quite protected from it all, uh, just uh, putting in place so many things that made me, uh, helped me to live in this delusion that that uh, wasn't a reality or that just protected me from having to open myself fully to it, you know. So, uh, but now uh, with this teachings and with this practice, you begin to eke it, you know, turn towards it and you realize you can take it. And, and um, we, we realize when we do that, that, the, that, you know, the jabs are really coming from all directions. <laughs> you know, I, I began to realize in my own life and practice that um, it wasn't a, a matter of whether or not I was going to get jabbed today. <laughs> you know, it was a matter of, of how often and how hard it was going to hurt, you know. That there's, and there's just little slights and there's big things uh, and it's going on a, a lot of the time. But, but gradually we, we start to see for ourselves that this is, this is a better way to be. At least the battle is over. And, and you go, oh, okay. You know, you, you sort of, it's kind of a resignation, maybe. Um, oh, 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 this is the way it is. <laughs> you know, you begin to accept it, life on its terms, not on the, my wishes or hopes or, or wants for, for things to be otherwise. And maybe you cry more, I don't know. I certainly do. It, you know, I've noticed uh, over the years that I have this little, mm, you know, that just happens sometimes. You know, maybe I'm watching the news or uh, passing an accident on the road or somebody's cutting me off in traffic instead of being pissed off at them or irritated by them. I'm, I'm sort of like, ugh, that doesn't feel good, <laughs> you know, just feeling, um, letting myself feel that. We get quite adept at doing that uh, over the years. And, and it hurts, but again, um, we're, gradually we're, we're more at peace with all of it. And opening uh, to the truth of dukkha is really uh, getting it, that this is very much a part of the process of waking up. And over the years you begin to trust that, don't you? I mean, I find I do. It's like, okay, just breathe, <laughs> allow, take it in. So uh, people often get confused around this particular teaching, though, because it's, it, it sounds like the teachings are saying that you can't or you shouldn't do anything about difficulty when it exists in the world. But nothing could be further from the truth. That's not what it's saying at all. I think what it's more accurate to say what the Buddha is pointing to here is, is a, a much subtler level of action. It's, a, it's an action that takes place right in that moment where that movement of the mind to, take, to move away from what is, is taking place. It's, it's getting in there and acting right there so that literally we overcome that movement of the mind over time or at least we begin to override it. 
You know, we're not, we're not taking exception to what is anymore, but um, uh, imagining that uh, something else is better. So uh, then uh, we can do whatever we want to do. You know, I, I think the, the, the teaching here is that if, uh, to the extent that we open, you can address the difficulties in the world politically, socially, environmentally, whatever way you want, whatever way is your nature to address it, Right? But the point being that when we're open to this subtle action, (laughs) this subtle movement of the mind to to, uh, go into unskillful states or reactions to it, then um, as we're open to it and can learn to manage that better, then um, our actions come from a much clearer place. They come from a much deeper place because uh, we have the wisdom of insight into dukkha. (laughs) You know, there's no, there's no fight about it being difficult. You know, it, it, there's just a, a, what arises or, uh, simultaneously with wisdom, which is this compassionate heart, which says, given the fact of the truth of dukkha, the only thing that makes sense is to take care. The only thing that makes sense is to act in a way. And we each find our own ways to do that. So, you know, opening in this way, it's in this twisted way, I don't know about you, you, but I, I just feel like it, it, it defies logic in a way, but it, it's, it's better. <laughs> I'm happier. I mean, who knew? <laughs> Accept the truth of dukkha and you'll be a lot happier in life. It does, it, it's not logical, is it? But it's to be tested, it's to be examined and seen for ourselves. Is that true? And we find, yes, it, it's, it's, and it's its own little twisted reward. So we, we also uh, set in place, uh, uh, you know, a lot of supports at times like this. A lot of, you know, just the best possible supports that we can find. And uh, I was also touched by Caroline's uh, bringing in that um, writing from Joseph and Sharon where they uh, addressed the, the broader IMS community and, and talked about the great importance of spiritual friendship at this time. And, uh, you know, I love the way they put it, that these, these uh, friendships strengthen um, courage and resolve so that the injustices and the intolerance can be called out and addressed. And we rely so much on these friendships. We do, we do, I don't know about you, but I just I so derive strength from my Dhamma buddies, from Sangha, from the community of people who understand um, uh, and look at life in the same way. You know, and sometimes that's not always your family. That's not always the, the more in, intimate relationships that we have. But we're all blessed uh, with Dhamma friendships, Dhamma buddies. And I, I love them. I mean, I, I rely so much on them. These are the people I call when, when uh, I feel like it's uh, d- too difficult to bear at times. And I was thinking about one of my favorite ones uh, not long ago, and I just had this image as I was thinking of this person of, of a, a, a fabulous bed and it was so comfortable. It was the most comfortable bed you could ever imagine. And it had all kinds of pillows on it and just pillow stuff just the way I like them. And these great blankets and, and all this stuff. And, and I would come home from a hard day, <laughs> you know, meeting and greeting the world and just lie down in this bed <laughs> with all its comforts and its ease. And, 
And that's the way I felt about this person. It's like, ah. <laughs> oh, it's like you talk about refuge in Sangha. You know, that's it, isn't it? We, we take refuge in uh, wise counsel, wise friendship, um, things of this nature. And so definitely, you know, maybe, maybe one thing that we can do now is up the ante on uh, staying in contact with those Dhamma buddies if, if you don't happen to have the good fortune of living with them. So and we, we do that and, and we make some practical adjustments. I, I find myself making practical adjustments at this time. Some, sometimes when, when pain is great and things are very difficult to bear, then you have to make some adjustments in the external world around you uh, to make things a, a little bit easier. Um, it might be uh, just uh, sprucing up your meditation cushion a little bit more, you know, spending a little more time on it. Or for me, it's been, and it has to do with cutting down on stimulation. You know, one of the things I've done over these last months is, is really make an out-and-out effort to diminish the stimulation because um, my mind is, tends to be greedy. You know, I'm a greedy type. <laughs> and so when it comes to sensations and titillations and things like this, you know, I'm very easily drawn in. So um, all of the... Uh, news and the, the things that have been reported about, you know, I'm always on the edge of my seat. It seemed like for a while there, every spare minute, when I had a little break or with my lunch or something at home, I'd turn on the news and see what was happening. And uh, it was getting very heavy, you know. Uh, I was just doing it constantly. And, the, you know, the news has its own bias, for sure. Um, but uh, I, I began to really realize in ways that I've certainly seen before, but see it at a deeper, deeper level, you know, how much of, of what's uh, being reported is done in a way to, to sustain an audience, you know. <laughs> and it's so full of this, uh, it's got to be filled with conflict and sensational stuff. Well, that's, you know, to a mind like mine, that's, you know, that's like catnip, you know, <laughs> and so I keep, keep getting pulled into it. And I, I've got to recognize that uh, th- this is not healthy, this is not good for me, you know, and, and really make some adjustments. So, so uh, you know, I found myself disconnecting all the uh, digital converters on my television sets, you know, and packing them up and putting them in a box, and I brought it all down to the Time Warner cable office, and walked in and plopped everything down on the counter, you know. And, and the, this woman just looked at me a little bewildered, you know. And I just sort of pushed it all towards her, <laughs> you know. And I said, please, would you take this back? <laughs> and she looked at me and she goes, uh, she goes, well, well, honey, what is it? <laughs> I live in the South, you know. Everybody says honey all the time. She goes, is it, is it not working okay? Is it, uh, is, it, is it the channels? Don't you like the channels? We can set you up with some different channels, you know? And, and I, I said, uh, I just assured her. I said, no, no, it's not any of that. Please, please, I, guarantee, I promise you, it's me. It's not you. <laughs> it's not the technology. It's not any of that. It's me. 
And, and I began to explain, because I was so filled with it, you know. Uh, I, I, it's just too much information, you know. There's just so much. I can't process it all. I can't keep my head above water with this level of content going on. And so much of it is such, such bad news. And so many of it is, to, so much of it is being fed and processed through uh, no, all manner of opinions and views. I mean, there's these panels, you know, and everybody has something to say about it, and uh, they agree and they don't agree, and it's, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> I just felt inundated, and uh, I couldn't take it anymore. And uh, so, and, you know, it was interesting cause to see her reaction, because I, I honestly think I... I caught her off guard, for sure. But when I looked at her, and when our eyes made really, really made a nice connection, you know, I could see that her eyes were really getting glassy, you know, and I had this, I imagined, who knows, but I imagined that we were making this great connection <laughs> right there. And she knew exactly what I was talking about. But she was in a professional position, and she, she couldn't volley it with me, you know. Uh, but I could feel almost that she, she wanted to. She understood. So, I mean, that's just me. You have your own kinds of things like that, that adjustments that you may need to make ba- based on your tendencies and where, where you get tripped up. And so just to get, think about that, you know, and, and depending on, on how, what we're doing, we, we might make these kinds of adjustments. And again, it's not that one wants to bury one's head in the sand. I had to ask myself that. Are you, are you turning away? Are you not wanting to deal? You know? And that wasn't the case. It was clearly not the case. It's more, much more the case that if I want to give myself, a, if I want to have a prayer, <laughs> give myself a leg up on being able to maintain some semblance of balance in this mind, in this heart, then I've got to be constantly on the lookout for the things that are supporting that or not and, and manage um, both the... Certainly I want to manage the internal world, but sometimes we have to uh, turn our directions, our sights outward and manage uh, these externals as well. Yeah, I suspect you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. We can all get a, a little crazy now and then, and 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 it's good to while it's good to work on the internals, it's really good to to work on these externals as well, and to make the adjustments where we need to. So there's there's opening to dukkha in this very skillful way, and um, uh, just kind of moderating our capacity in this regard. And there are many, many other helpful teachings in Buddhism. You know, as I noted, the, the reflections on the Brahma Viharas or, or just sort of up in the ante on developing and, and cultivating your samadhi. Uh, this is all very helpful. Or, or looking, taking a closer look at, at sense restraint. And I may talk about some of these in, uh, next week. We'll see, see what develops. But uh, right now I just wanted to turn to another area that I find very, very helpful. Certainly we, we want to be awake to and open to and, and contemplate the, the first noble truth. Uh, but um, this is an area that I have found enormously helpful. And it has to do with learning about our moods and our mind states and, and uh, understanding their nature, 
so that we can manage them better, so that we can get in there and, and manage them better, and, and so that we're not at the mercy of everything that comes into the mind. You know, this is a standard operating procedure in the unawakened state. You know, that things come up and we become them. So if we can manage our own states of mind, then uh, it's a lot easier to, to manage what's coming at us from the world. It's really kind of the same thing. And, and for this, I've, I've found a tremendous support, tremendous help. I just get boggled by this sutta over and over again uh, in the, the Buddhist teaching on the foundations of mindfulness, and particularly the third satipatthana, uh, the mindfulness of, of the mind. And it's a very simple teaching, and it's offered in very, very simple language. And sometimes when things are that simple, the, the Buddha can put it so succinctly and that it can, it can, um, we can forget to probe the deeper meaning here and to look for the uh, profundity of what it is that he's saying. Uh, but, so, but it has to be uh, understood and uh, we have to understand what he's saying so that we can use it most effectively. So let me just read you this. It's a very, it's a very short part of the sutta uh, and then talk about it a little bit. Again, it's so so simple, (laughs) we can miss it entirely. (laughs) How does one abide contemplating mind as mine? Here, one understands mind affected by lust as mind affected by lust, and mind unaffected by lust as mind unaffected by lust. One understands mind uh, affected by hatred as mind affected by hate, and mind unaffected by hate, as mind unaffected by hate. One understands mind affected by delusion, as mind affected by delusion, and mind unaffected by delusion, as mind unaffected by delusion. One understands contracted mind, as contracted mind. One understands distracted mind, as distracted mind. One understands exalted mind as exalted mind and unexalted mind as unexalted mind. One understands surpassed mind as surpassed mind and unsurpassed mind as uh, unsurpassed mind. One understands concentrated mind as concentrated mind and unconcentrated mind as unconcentrated mind. One understands liberated mind as liberated mind and unliberated mind as unliberated mind. So it's very, very simple language, and as I said, uh, uh, it, it behooves us to just to look at it a little bit closely. A couple of things jump out as I, as I read that, and I have to say they didn't jump out right away. <laughs> There's many years of looking at this sutta and, and probing its meaning. Uh, and, and it's so simple that, uh, uh, as I said, you can miss it. And so one of the things that jumps out that's especially worthy of contemplation, well, they both have to do with the language that the Buddha's using here. Uh, he says that one understands a mind affected by lust, hatred, delusion, as a mind affected by that, uh, and, and of course a mind unaffected by that. And, and this understands, again, it goes back to what I said earlier about it, it's pointing to something that is a direct 
knowing. It's, it's, it's not a heady understanding, an intellectual understanding. It's, it's a knowing from within the state what it actually is. So it's a knowing that, um, you know, is, is fully receiving the state and feeling the impact of it. But the point that I wanted to make here, and particularly about this sutta, is that um, the Buddha isn't, it, the, the, what captures me about the litany that he lays out, he's not just talking about difficult states. He's talking about happy states, too. In, uh, you know, he said the, the, the mind affected by lust, but the mind not affected by lust, you know, which is a very happy, um, uplifted state. And he's not just talking about ordinary states. You know, all the hindrances are present and accounted for there, the states that we experience in our ordinary uh, existence, unawakened existence. He's talking about exalted states, you know, the, the, the uplifted um, states as well. Uh, seeing the, the mind that is uh, temporarily liberated, seeing the mind, uh, knowing the mind has been in very highly absorbed states, exalted states. And these all have to be known. And what's interesting is, is that he's, it's, it's saying with the same valence, <laughs> you know, known in the same way. It, it, and, and so it's, uh, I, I find this very interesting and, and powerful statement. So he's not only pointing to the states of mind, but a way of relating to them as well. And uh, it appears to me that he's giving very, very much giving equal weight to all of these states, to this broad range of possible states uh, that we see uh, in our minds and hearts. The skillful and the unskillful, the ordinary, the exalted, uh, the absorbed, the scattered the liberated, the confused. Uh, he seems to be saying, look at them all in the same way. You know, normally you see a list like that and you could feel the, the mind taking exception, you know, putting some in column A and column, some in column B. It's like greed, no, nah, I don't want that. You know, restlessness, no, nah, I don't want that. No, unconcentrated mind, no, don't want that. You know, that's a, that's a bad state. And, these, and then over here we've got these other good states. But the, the sutta is saying to see them all in the same way, to see them all impartially. And, and, and you know, it, it, if you can feel that, it means you, you can't have a view about what comes into the mind. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's hard one. That, I have found that to be very hard one. You know, this, this uh, tendency... To, to sort, to, to pick and choose, and to call this one a good state and, and that one a bad state. You know, uh, even these words, skillful and unskillful, get picked up like that uh, in, the, in the mind that doesn't uh, understand what's being said here. Uh, you know, it, so we, we're trying not to have a view about what's going on. Or if we have a view, to be able to know that that's happening and to get out of it as quickly as possible. You know, one wants to train so that we rest in a place of equanimity with whatever um, state is coming up. This is a very unperturbed state of mind, an impartial, objective uh, looking. You know, it's a quality of heart that doesn't say anything about anything, but just keeps knowing what's there, keeps knowing what's there from one moment to the next. It's not that some of the states that come up don't feel bad or good, (laughs) You know, but it's, it's that the emphasis, it's almost like the whole thing shifts where, uh, whereas uh, we're used to being preoccupied with the content of the mind, now we're being uh, encouraged to sort of rest in the bit that is knowing that content. And that's a very different vantage point.
you know, that point that's, a, that's aware of it all. Um, and, and one isn't uh, inflated or diminished by anything that we see. So I'm talking here about our, our own internal states, but it also includes the externals, you know, the states that are coming at us from the world. You know, don't you find in your practice that as you begin to be able to manage your own states of mind, then when the same things are coming at you from the world, it's much easier. You know, because you know how to manage it. You can manage it within yourself. So, uh, you know, you, you can manage it from out there. But it's, it's definitely talking about looking at hatred uh, with the same quality of heart that we look at non-hatred. <laughs> I don't know what that does to you. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I, my, my heart goes, oh my God, who can do that? Who can do that? But that's what the Buddha is pointing to here. It's a quality of observing that is infinitely impartial, unperturbed, and uh, embracing everything that comes up. So if you can feel that, the, 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 the language here is saying that there's, there's no fuss about any state of mind that comes up. It, the state of mind literally doesn't matter. Our, our practice, our task, is to know what's in there. So that's, that, was a, that was a big turnaround for me, you know, because uh, I, I kept looking in the Buddhist teachings for the bit that says, well, when you're filled with hatred, beat up on yourself and smack yourself around a little bit and, and you know, feel bad, go to get depressed, go get some chocolate, you know. I mean, I, I kept looking for that, but it's not there. It, it's not there. The Buddha isn't saying anything even remotely like that. You know, it's it's saying just simply know it and be be aware of the state, uh, and this puts a very different spin on things. You know, to me, he uh, seems to be pointing to a, a, just a, such a profound state of peace and equanimity and impartiality that it, it boggles the mind. And I, I find it's very helpful to think about it as a train. Remember that it's a training, you know, and that these things take time, and that's okay. It can helps me be patient and to endure the difficult times where I seem to have all the false starts or out-and-out failures. But, you know, every now and then, you know, you, you, you drop in, don't you? <laughs> and, and we know... We know firsthand what it is that he's talking about. It may only be for a few seconds. It may be for a little while. You know, it may endure at varying, various degrees. Uh, but we do, we do know what he's talking about from our own experience. And, and you can feel this. And when you drop in like that, you can feel this cloud lift. It's, like, it's almost like there's this veil between what is and my ability to just be with it and and that every now and then it just goes poof <laughs> and and you can uh, and you know you know that something is radically different as i said it might it's a glimpse it might only last a few seconds but it's so powerful and it, and you and when you're in those states you know that it really doesn't matter what the state is so you know i've had i've had occasions where i go like Oh, 
So this is kindness. This is what kindness feels like. You know, up until that point where I'm really in it and I know it from within it, there's, a, there's always a little bit of me that is still thinking about it and not actually knowing it. Or, or this is hatred. Ugh, that's what that feels like. You know, where that little bit that's pushing it away or looking at it askance isn't there. You just actually know it very, very directly. And, and, and sometimes we can't, we can't find that spot, and that's okay. That has to be okay, too. <clears throat> so I don't know about you, but I, I find this teaching on this aspect of the Satipatthana just very, very helpful, just to think about what's, what's he saying as he lays out this litany of states and, and puts the what seemingly opposites it, it, all in the same category. <laughs> You know, what's he saying about how it is that uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I need to address that? And as I said, as I find it very helpful to th- just remember that we're, we're in a training. <laughs> we're, we're in an unawakened state. And we're moving uh, as, as, as well as we can. We're all doing the best we can to a, a, a state of awakening. Uh, You've got to know that's going to take some time. And you got to know it's not always going to be fun. <laughs> you know, it's going to be some difficult spots in there. Uh, and, and just to, to see it um, as, as such, as I find it, it's just very, very helpful. And, and it's helpful to recognize, too, that this is how, to me, this is how mindfulness is actually um, cultivated. You know, it, it, I know I used to think that you, 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 you sort of pull mindfulness out of the air somehow, you know, and you put it on the object, and then that means you're mindful of that object. You know, but I I think it's more accurate to say that increasingly, as we're able to to know our own states of mind in this way, with this high, high degree of impartiality, that this is actually mindfulness. This is is, uh, mindfulness in its purest sense. It's this capacity to know it with this kind of impartiality. The fullness, the mind is full (laughs) with whatever is. You know, we may not experience that right out of the gate, but um, over the years, you know, through patience and and kindness and and really pure grit at times, you know, uh, gradually we begin to, to get in there. So we're looking at this range of states that occur in the human mind and, and trying to see them in the same way, impartially, not have a view, not have an opinion about it. So the, the, the second thing that jumped out at me with this is um, another aspect of the, the turn of phrase that he's using here. He talks about the mind affected by a state, the mind affected by a state, lust, hatred, whatever. And and the implication here, which didn't jump out at me right away either, is that the mind is one thing and the state is something else. (laughs) You know, I don't know about you, but before before practice, you couldn't convince me that that was true. You know, whatever comes into the mind, it was almost like you didn't have any option (laughs) but to be it, to become it, to act out of it, all of that. The, the, the mind states are us kind of thing. You know, this is who I am. Uh, that this sense of um, mind, 
the, the sort of the, the, the place where these things are arising. I, I didn't have that for many years in practice. But, you know, um, it, 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 it's, it, that's what he's, I think he's pointing to here. And he's also saying, seems to be suggesting that this uh, arisen state, whatever's arising in the mind, is not the natural state of the mind. That's far out. What's that? What's going on there? You know, that these, these states come in and they, they go. So in, in the unawakened state, as I said, we tend to think of these as the same. There's, there's no, there's, there's what's in my mind, that's the mind, you know. But clearly he's, he's pointing to some, a different kind of relationship here. So, you know, with practice we start to ask, well, um, what if it's not like that? What if it's not joined, we're not joined at the hip to our mind states? What if there's a, a possibility of some semblance of managing this and standing outside of it? You know, what if I'm not a hateful person just because hatred arises frequently in my mind? What if it, well, that doesn't define me? You know, what if I'm not a, a, a greedy person? I don't characterize myself as somebody who is consistently greedy just because that's a state that comes up a lot. You know, that doesn't define me. You know, what, what if it's not personal like that? You know, that these states are very impersonal things that are arising out of conditions. You know, I can make it personal, I can take it personally, or I can look at it in a very different way. And, and really, finally, just what, what if not seeing this correctly is the thing that's keeping it all going? <laughs> and to me, what the Buddha is pointing to in this third uh, Satipatthana is see it correctly. You know, get in there, do the investigation, look and see it correctly so we can stop this uh, automatic pilot that we're on, this living life so compulsively with the, the patterns and, and habits of mind that are so tired and worn out <laughs> and old. <laughs> you know, we can put them down, especially the difficult ones. So, you know, we only have to look to see, see the truth of what's going on here. They're not permanent, and they're not personal. And that, that registers in short order, actually, if we just know how to look, right? And I find that just a very exciting point to, to contemplate right there, and to look at it, look for it in our own experience. It, it, all, it lays itself out. <laughs> all we have to do is look. You know, Bruno Mars said it well. <laughs> don't believe me, just watch. <laughs> don't believe me, just watch. <laughs> I mean, incidentally, the Buddha said that too, but uh, Bruno just put this really funky backbeat to it and made it, <laughs> made it uh, more like a mantra in the mind. So, you know, Ajahn Chah, who's one of uh, my favorite teachers, He's, he's so cute. He says so many wonderful things, you know. And he, he said, uh, these mind states are visitors to the mind. They're visitors to the mind. And he said, they come in the front door. Just make sure you have the back door open. <laughs> you know, it reminded me of these big southern mansions. I live in the south, and these big southern mansions where the back doors are just as big as the front doors. Because they, you know, any little wisp of air that comes through, they want it to be able to move through. So, uh, you know, it's, it really feels like that. 
So with all these teachings, uh, whether you're looking at the dukkha or looking at the satipatthana and mindfulness of, of mind and how to manage our, our own states of mind, how to uh, understand them, how they're operating and how to relate to them uh, in the most skillful way. I, I think what the Buddha is doing here with all of this is, is setting us up. To me, you know, I've said this before um, many times, but to me the Buddha is a master manipulator. <laughs> you know, he, you don't have to know that he's even doing it. You just have to follow what he says. He says, get in there and see the mind like this. You know, and, and what he's uh, setting us up for is a, 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 a capacity for a profound non-attachment, for, a, 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 for being able to stand back and look at what's going on, as you all are doing so beautifully here at the Forest Refuge. Stand back and look at these mental arisings, and um, because one is in that vantage point or that non-attached posture in relation to it, then you'll see their nature, that it's a, a, a impermanent, unsatisfactory, and not self. You will, you will, you will see, you can't help but see it. If you just follow the, the directions, you know, when all else fails, follow the directions. So um, that's our task here. Uh, so we, we know what our training is, don't we? And all that's really left is for us to do that. And especially at these difficult times, it, it, it all represents a, a fabulous gift that we give to ourselves, but to each other. You know, we're, we, we can actually be um, a person who lives in this world who um, isn't um, caught you know, and isn't, uh, is able to see uh, and understand difficulty uh, and, and uh, be, be, not buckle under its weight, <laughs> but be able to endure, to uh, stand up in the presence of it and do the only thing that makes sense, which is, you know, to uh, respond in compassionate ways. You know, to, to be uh, somebody who, who has a mastery over one's own mind states and is able to endure the mind states of other people because of that mastery. And be able to endure that when it happens on a global scale. We can see the delusion. We can see the, the greed and the hatred out of control. And this heart can open to it. And, and uh, in a way, that is a doing in itself. But if there's something else that we want to do, we're able to rise up so even while the world is, is going uh, a little bit mad, <laughs> um, getting caught up in so many un- unskillful states, then what we're doing here, as we practice here at the Forest Refuge, is we're trying to learn directly, to, to look on all of this with equanimity, you know, and with kindness, and with wisdom. So I, I, I hope this is the best year possible for you <laughs> in your practice, in your lives, and that we end up being that beacon on, on the planet that uh, is, a, is a part of uh, turning things around a little bit here. So Happy New Year. Mm. Mm.